Everybody said amen? amen. Amen. We're glad you're here this morning. Before we jump into it, I do have some really important thing to mention. Were any of you in the room have enough foresight in your life uh, to actually get married on Valentine's Day? Anybody in the room like that? I know we've got a couple. Okay, if you that was you, okay, stand up. If you're married and you're married on Valentine's Day, stand up. All right, I know you're going to hate me for this. Okay, it's there's Tom and Terry Caldwell, Doctor Caldwell, and uh, I don't know where Willie's at in the room, but Willie, there go back there. And Pat's not with him today. And so my first thought was they've been married, they're 21 years right here, and 50 years for Willie and Pat back there. Yes, so excited for Pat and Willie. And then it was odd that I thought she's not here today, so then I asked questions, and, and so there was no fight. I'm going to say that. She wasn't feeling well. She had Starbucks, and it all went south from there. So we're Miss Pat. We're just pray for her and let her know that we're thrilled at 50 years of putting up with you, Willie. All right? So last week, we began a brand new series going through the book of Nehemiah called Rebuild. And if you remember, in, as we looked at the story of Nehemiah, which is in the Old Testament, it's a story of a guy who his people, the Israelites, have been in captivity for at least six decades, and they're in the Babylonian captivity. And then this group called the Persians come in and takes over everything. So when we come to the scene of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is in the capital city of Persia, which is Susa, but yet his people are homeless. His people don't have a homeland anymore as far as the temple's been destroyed, the walls of the city have been destroyed. And so when we come to chapter 1, we see this real knowledge that comes to Nehemiah that everything that he knew was home, all the, all the, the temple, all the walls, all that has been destroyed. In fact, the walls were burned up with fire. It was all gone. And in Nehemiah, what we see is this sense of and this passion that God puts in him to go back and rebuild the walls. Now, rebuilding the walls would have been essential for Israel because when you rebuild those walls and the temple gets reestablished and the walls get rebuilt, it's basically saying, okay, this is a nation that now has a land. This is a nation that now has a place of worship. This is a nation that has a God who is for them. And when the temple was destroyed, the walls were destroyed, ultimately that's the message it could have sent to every other nation is that your God's not big enough to worship because he lost his temple and he lost his wall. So to rebuild that, would have been about rebuilding a heritage for Israel. But I want you to also know this, and this is where we camped most of the ground last week. For Nehemiah, hear me, for Nehemiah, it was more than rebuilding walls, right? That was part of it. But for Nehemiah, it was way more than rebuilding walls. For Nehemiah, it was about rebuilding who they were, the Israelites were, who they were called to be, and why in the world that matters. For Nehemiah, what was all about this rebuild, yes, it was about walls, and yes, it was about a temple, but at the end of the day, it was about rebuilding a sense of identity and the people of God, the Israelites, letting them be reminded of that God is for them, he's not against them, that God is on their side, and he's going to fight for them. And so it's all about building their sense of identity in the Lord, but it's also about reminding them of their purpose. Israel was always called to be a holy nation, set apart from the rest, and where they got into trouble is the moments in their history, which was a lot of those moments, where they weren't separate. They weren't set apart. They looked just like everybody else. And God called them out on it. So for Nehemiah, it was about rebuilding this sense of identity, rebuilding this sense of purpose. And I just want to submit this to us this morning, and it's this, is that as we move forward through this series, the same thing's true for us that we need to make sure that we are building and rebuilding a sense of our identity in Christ. I don't know if you need to know this today, but if you're a child of God, you've been forgiven. Did you know that? 
You have been forgiven. And the old enemy is the one who wants you to think you've not been forgiven. It's the old enemy who wants to keep that in front of your face and keep you kicking you while you're down. But you need to know today, if you're a child of God, you have been forgiven. You are accepted by God. You are loved by God. And you have been adopted as a child of the Most High God. And we need to be reminded as believers our identity in Christ, but we also need to be reminded of our purpose. Jesus made the purpose clear. We are called to be salt and what? And light. Everywhere we go, we're called to be salt and light. And then ultimately, we need to be reminded of why in the world that matters. Here's why it matters. We talked about it last week. Thousands of people surrounding this school every day who don't know Christ. And hopefully the one conclusion most of us came to last week was this. We're not okay with that, are we? We're not okay with that. And we have a purpose to be salt and light. And we have a motivation is that there are people around us who do not know Christ. And we want to be part of the people that God uses to reach them for the good news of Jesus. And so for us, no matter what we find ourselves engaged in, listen, we had a meeting a while ago. We had kind of a, 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 kind of a, a, a Q&A time about the land that we're so excited about. And if you've not seen it, you need to let us know. We want to get you on the property. It is gorgeous out there where we believe God is going to plant us as a church and we're going to have a building and we're going to be a beacon of light. But listen, even as we talk about land, even as we talk about a building, even as we begin to move that way, we need to not let any of that stuff cause us to forget who we are in Christ first, what we've been called to be in Christ first, and why in the world that matters. It is really easy, even as individuals. How many of you are busy every day? Anybody? Five of you. Okay, some of you are thinking about it. Okay, the rest of you just need a job, right? So you're busy every day. Is it easy as you find yourself moving throughout the day to forget about the purpose that God has for you? Is it easy to walk through your day? And listen, I'm, I'm, I'm probably the worst, maybe worse than anybody else in the room like this. I'm a point A to point B guy. And if you want to talk to me between point A and point B, if you're on my right side, I'm definitely not listening to you because I can't hear anything out of here. And if you're on my left side, I might just ignore you because I'm going for a purpose. I want to get from A to B as quick as I can with as few interruptions as possible. Anybody else sinful like me? Okay, you right, right? Listen, even in our lives, things cause us to forget who we are in Christ and what we're called to be. And I just want to say this to us this morning. No matter where we find ourselves as a church or as individuals, like Israel and like what Nehemiah is trying to do, we must always build in us our sense of who we are in Christ, who we've been called to be, and why in the world that matters. I'm not okay with people spending eternity in a place called hell. Are you? And we need to do something about that. So for Nehemiah, it was more than rebuilding walls. It was rebuilding a mindset. And we said last week that the place that this rebuild begins is with realignment. It begins with realigning our heart and our minds with God's heart and his mind. We saw in chapter 1, it said, after Nehemiah heard this news, he wept bitterly, right? He wept and he grieved and he mourned. There's this internal grieving that happens in Nehemiah. And what did that grief lead Nehemiah to do? First thing out of the gate. Did he come up with a to-do list of everything he had to do? No. What's the first thing Nehemiah did? He prayed, right? He prayed. He sought the Lord. And if we're going to realign ourselves, if we want to rebuild this mindset in us, we first have to realign ourselves with the Lord. We have to realign our heart to his heart. We have to realign our mindset to his mindset. Well, Doug, what is the mindset of the Lord? Well, that's, that's easy. You just read scripture. Jesus said when he saw the people out there in front of him, here's what he saw. People that were harassed, helpless like sheep 
without a shepherd. You think that's changed? Come on, do you think that's changed? And you think if Jesus showed up today, which would be way cool, and I would talk to him way more than you, if Jesus showed up today and he were able to see all these 30,000 plus people in this area who don't have a church home, are disconnected from God, do you think he would answer the question or feel the same way about those people, that they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? I think so. You know what the heart of God is also is this. Jesus said it this way, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I hope that bothers you. You say, well, pastor, you mentioned that every week. I know. I hope it wrecks us that people don't know Christ. And so if we're after, as we rebuild this mindset, it begins by us realigning our heart and our mind to the Lord. Obviously, that's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah realigned himself because we see that in the fact there was a holy discontent in Nehemiah, and there was a grieving that went on him. And hopefully the same thing's true with us as well. But once we realign our heart, the second thing we must do is we must respond. See, it's one thing to get your heart and your mind right with the Lord and in tune and in rhythm and in step and in sync with the Lord. But here's where most of us stop. It's the responding part. See, if we're going to build this mindset of who we are, once we realign ourselves, we have to respond. We have to do something with the information and the opportunities that God has put in front of us. And so today what I want us to do is I want us to look at Nehemiah, and I want us to look at the, how Nehemiah responded to the situation in front of him. So if you have your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 2 is where we're going to be, Nehemiah chapter 2. Now as you turn there, let me tell you the first response we're going to see in Nehemiah, which to me would not be my first response. The first response we're going to see in Nehemiah is that he was patient with the Lord. So I want us to start with, how many of you struggle with patience? Come on. How many of you struggle with patience? Okay. So the rest of you got it? Is that what I'm hearing? The rest of you got to figure it out. Well, we need to talk to you. And then we know scripture because like we think we ought to pray for patience, but what brings that on? What gives us patience? Perseverance. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Perseverance, right? To get patience, you have to endure. So if you're like me, you're like, I'm not going to pray for patience. I sneak at it anyway, and if I pray for it, I'm really going to go through it. But Nehemiah, his first response with all that was going on after he prayed was this. He responded with patience. And so I want us to take a look at the patience of Nehemiah. Look with me in verse 1 of chapter 2, and it says this. Chapter 2, verse 1, it'll be on the screen here. It says this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Now just pause there for a minute. You say, well, what in the world does that mean about the patience of Nehemiah? Well, think about it. It says here, in the month of Nisan. That's all you need to know. Now, it wasn't a car he was talking about. It was a month. Now, in chapter 1, he talked about the, uh, the month of Hislev, which Hislev and Nisan are four months apart. Hislev is the month that Nehemiah heard that the wall has been destroyed, and immediately Nehemiah prays. So here's the point. For four months... Since Nehemiah prayed that emotional and intense prayer, God has still not responded. God has not intervened. God has not provided an opportunity. Now think about that. Could you pray something that emotional, that heart-wrenching, that heartbreaking, and could you wait four months for God to go, okay, here's your opportunity now? Could you wait that long? Most of us, if we were honest, would go, absolutely not. 
Most of us, here's the way, if you're like Doug, here's the way I pray. Is Lord, I want favor, I want your wisdom, I want your guidance. Amen. And as I walk out the door and get into my vehicle, I expect that to miraculously, supernaturally, to be invaded with the wisdom of the Lord and the guidance and his counsel, so that as I head out to do what I think should be done, that, I, that God is going with me. And oftentimes, I get myself way ahead of the Lord. Anybody else wrestle with that one? And I, and I do it thinking, well, this is the right thing to do. Well, I need to wait. And Nehemiah, listen, Nehemiah waited for four months. And during that four months, what do you think he was doing? Well, he was still praying. He was still seeking the Lord. Four months, Nehemiah waited on the Lord. After he prayed this deep emotional prayer, he waited on the Lord. Here's the thing. If you read the story, Nehemiah never took matters into his own hands. Not one moment did Nehemiah go, you know what? God, I've lifted this up to you. I'm just going to follow the path I think is right. Never does it happen. Nehemiah was patient with the Lord. Did you hear that? Nehemiah was patient with the Lord. Now, here's something I want you to write down. It's not going to be on the screen. Sometimes the greatest activity we can do is to wait. Now, that seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? You're saying, Doug, the greatest thing I can do is wait that doesn't seem like it makes much sense because doing has nothing to do with what? Waiting. But the reality is when you read Nehemiah, maybe what we learn is that maybe one of the greatest things we can do, one of the greatest activities that we can do in our life is to wait on the Lord, to pray emotionally, to pray earnestly, but then trust God to offer us the wisdom, the counsel, and the opportunities, listen, on his timetable, not yours. And not mine. Now we can stop here and have an invitation because we all stink at that one, don't we? We all wrestle with that one. I mean, I want God to move as fast as I'm thinking. Well, here's the, here's the reality. God is already way ahead of you, but he's not getting you to where he wants you till he wants to get you there. God is already orchestrating things way down the line. I mean, God is in control of all things, all time. He's the grand orchestrator. He just wants us to be patient with him. And in the right moment, in the right timing, he'll provide the exactly right opportunity for us. And so for some of us who are like Doug, who are impatient in the room, maybe the greatest activity we can do is to wait on the Lord. Listen, when we say we're going to wait on you, Lord, Lord, here's my heart, here's my brokenness, Lord, I'm going to wait on you. What are we saying? Here's what we're saying. Lord, I trust you, right? I trust your timing. I trust your will. I trust your way. I don't, <laughs> I don't have to be in control. Ouch, Right? That's what we're saying. When we say, Lord, I'm going to lift my request to you, but I'm going to be patient and I'm going to wait on you, Lord. What we're saying is, Lord, I trust you. I know that your timing's perfect, your way is perfect, and I don't have to be in control. It's you, God. So when we look at Nehemiah, the very first response we see is the patience of Nehemiah. Not a battle plan, not a to-do list, patience. It's fascinating. Second thing I want you to notice that we see in response to him has everything to do with courage. I want us to look at the courage of Nehemiah. Look with me in verse 2 and 3. And the king said to him, he said, why, uh, king said to him, why is your face sad? Seeing you are not sick, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Said, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should I not my face be sad? When the city, the place my father's graves lies, in ruins, and its gates 
have been destroyed by fire. Now, here's the, here's the courage that Nehemiah had. Nehemiah had the courage to speak the truth, didn't he? I mean, if you notice there, the king comes to him, and I think we got that, the courage to speak the truth. That's what Nehemiah had. He had this amazing courage to actually say and to share what was on his heart. You notice the king came to him and going, hey, basically that translation of sad would be depressed. Why are you depressed, Nehemiah? You're not sick. What's wrong with you? You ever had one of your kids kind of down in the dumps, and you're like, I know you're not sick. What's wrong with you? Well, that's what's going on here. And Nehemiah goes, why wouldn't I be sad, right? Why wouldn't I be sad? The place that I call home, the place that means so much to me, that place has been completely destroyed. That place is in total ruins. Why wouldn't I be upset? Now, I want you to notice here, when the king asks Nehemiah a question, you see the courage of Nehemiah that he actually responds in a respectful way? Did you get that? He says, O king, right? He addresses him, said to the king, let the king live forever. He says, basically, I want well, I wish well things for you, king. But when he asked him why he was sad, Nehemiah was honest, and he spoke the truth. He said, my heart is breaking because my homeland has been destroyed. The heritage of my people has been destroyed. The place of worship where people gathered to worship the one true God has been destroyed. The place that represents the Israelites, a nation that God has anointed, has been destroyed. Why wouldn't I be sad? But did you pick up there, he said, he was very much what? Afraid. Did you get that? Did you pick up on that? He said he was very much afraid. Before he spoke to the king, he said he was very much afraid. Now, here's what I want you to notice about that. Not only was he afraid, but in his fear, throughout, through, even in the face of fear, Nehemiah still had the courage to take a stand. Even in the face of fear, Nehemiah had the courage to take a stand and to speak the truth. Now, just a quick thought. I don't know about you, but there's probably times in your life, times in my life, when we come encounter with somebody, maybe at the workplace, a family member, maybe an opportunity arises where we can share the gospel with someone, and one thing that many of us fear oftentimes is fear, right? Anybody ever been afraid? And listen, I can tell you, I remember early in my ministry when I would go to houses and try to share the gospel, I mean, I was scared to death. I was scared. Here's what, here's what scared me. You ready? What if I don't know enough, right? What if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer? Is that going to hinder the fame of God in that moment? What if I share everything I know and they simply say, no, thank you. I don't want that. And so for me, for many of us, fear paralyzes us from being courageous, doesn't it? Fear oftentimes sets us back and it paralyzes. We have all these situations, maybe all these opportunities, but fear is the one thing that keeps us paralyzed instead of being the person of great courage who speaks the truth. And I'm just going to tell you, if there's one thing that we need as a church, if we need as individuals, is we need the courage to speak the truth. We need the courage that even when we face those fearful moments, that we're able to press on and press through those moments and still take a stand for Christ. You know why? Because maybe their eternity hangs in the balance. And we need to have the courage to speak the truth. But we don't only see Nehemiah's courage there. We also see the source of Nehemiah's courage. Look with me in verse 4. It says this. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? We're going to come back to that. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now here we see where the source of Nehemiah's courage comes. We see that he got his courage from a divine source. Who was that divine source? 
It was God. God's the one who gave him that. But you pick up on the question the king asked him. Before it was, why are you sad? Well, duh, right? My people are in ruin. But now he asks a different question. He says, what are you requesting of me? In other words, the king is asking Nehemiah, what do you want me to do for you? See, in this question, I'm sure with Nehemiah, there must have been this moment going, okay, God, I've been praying for four months now. Is it possible that you have opened the window of opportunity? Because he's already asked me one question about why I'm sad, and I had the courage to say why I was sad, but now he's asking me, what am I requesting? What do I want the king to do on my behalf? Is it possible that God is opening up this opportunity for me? So when that, when that reality hits Nehemiah, what does Nehemiah do? Come on, what does Nehemiah do? Look at, listen to what it says. And he prayed. He didn't go off his, uh, his cleft note version. He didn't go off his notes. Immediately when he knew the opportunity was in front of him, what did Nehemiah do? He prayed. He's, and I'm sure you say, well, Doug, what did he pray? Well, we don't know specifically, but here's what I would guess to think. And when you read all of Nehemiah, here's what I would say. I think he prayed that God would give him the courage to say things that the Lord would have him to say. That he would give him the courage to say the right stuff. So let's look at what Nehemiah said, verse 4 through 8. It says this, Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and then I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and will you return? So I plead, if it pleased the king to send me when I have given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let the letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And the letter to Asaph, the, king, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the God's hand was on me, it was upon me. Now, listen to this real fast. What do we see in Nehemiah? We see the courage to not only speak the truth, but here's what we see in this passage. We see the courage to seize the moment, right? The king has asked him, what do you want from me? What can I do for you? And I love this. Here's what Nehemiah starts out with. Look, go back to verse 5. Here's what he starts out with. Verse 5. He says, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. What does he say? King, can I go home? Would you send me home? Now, did you notice here, did, did Nehemiah ever make demands of the king? No. Now, who was Nehemiah to the king? Well, he was a cupbearer. We learned that in chapter one. You think, well, that's not a very big job. Well, actually, if you study it, it was a huge job. The cupbearer was, in many cases, in many situations, viewed as royalty because what the cupbearer would do is they would pour the drinks for all the royalty, but then they would take a drink on behalf of the king of what the king was being offered because in that day and time, the best way to take out a king was to poison the king. What's the best way to poison him? Throw your drink, and the cupbearer would literally take a drink of it and make sure that he didn't kill over dead, and then it was good for the king to drink. And so the king had ultimate trust in the cupbearer. So the cupbearer's role was huge. Not anybody got that role. It was a role of great trust and great respect. And that was Nehemiah's role to the king. And so here's what he says. Okay, king, you asked me. I prayed. Here's the first thing I want from you. Can you let me go back home? My heart is breaking for my homeland. 
My heart is breaking over everything being destroyed. And I want to go home and I want to help them rebuild. I want to go home and I want to restore to my people the mindset of who they are, the mindset of who they've been called to be. I want to go back and help them. I mean, listen, this was a big request on the behalf of Nehemiah, wasn't it? He's saying, listen, I know I serve a great role here in your court, but I'm asking for some sabbatical time. I'm asking, King, you know my heart, you know my hurt. Would, would you let me go home? Now, what do you think the average king would have said to that? What do you think the average king would have said? Absolutely not. Your life is not as important as my life. I trust you. You stay. I don't want to be poisoned. But is that what the king said? Look at me in verse 6. What does the king say? Listen to his response. And the king said to me, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to what? To send me. The king says, I'm pleased with that. I mean, this was a major request. And, and Nehemiah had this unbelievable courage to seize the moment. The king says, what do you request of me? And Nehemiah prays, and then he speaks out and says, I want to go home. Are you okay with that? And the king says, what? Sure. Now, stop for a minute. Does the story stop there? I love Nehemiah. Nehemiah was like a pushy teenager because he didn't stop there, right? I remember when my, when my, my oldest two boys were, were teenage years starting to drive, they would, they would like to push the envelope of curfew. Like, hey, your curfew's this. Well, Dad, can we come back 30 minutes later? And you're like, you know, okay, you know, Sonny, what do you think? Okay, 30 minutes later, but you got to be home at this time. And so that's kind of what Nehemiah has done. But Nehemiah doesn't stop there. Nehemiah goes on and asks for more. Look what he asked for in verse 7. He says, and I said to the king also, if it pleases the king, I love that. In other words, if it makes you happy, king, write a letter to be given to me and so I can give to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. He says, listen, not only do I want you to let me go back, king, but by the way, would you take some time personally and would you write a letter for me so that when I'm on my way back to Judah and I get stopped by all these people, I go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute before you kill me. Here's a letter from the king. The king said it was okay. Listen, this was a humongous uh, I mean, a humongous ask of the king. And this is an imposition to the king that he would personally write a letter so that Nehemiah, when he goes back, no matter who stops him, when the king's signature was on it, they had to allow that to be carried out. It was like a decree from the king and everybody had honor. King, by the way, would you write me a letter so when I go back? See, what did Nehemiah know? Nehemiah knew that when he went back to, Ju to Judah and to Jerusalem area, that he was going to be facing stiff opposition. And he knew that he needed protection. So what did he ask the king to do? He asked the king to write a letter with his signature on it so that he could give to everybody who came in contact with so they might let him pass through. So it's kind of like my teenage boys. Hey, Dad, can I stay out for instead of 10 o'clock curfew, which you all thought we were really hard for that, 10 o'clock curfew, can it be a 10.30 curfew? Oh, that's fine. Well, Dad, oh, by the way, that's great I get 10.30, but could you give me some money for gas and food while I'm out between now and 10.30? Would that be okay too? What do you think the king's answer to Nehemiah here is about writing a letter? What do you think his answer is? Sure, he writes it, right? And look what else he asked for. Look at verse 8, the last thing he asked for. He says, and if it pleases the king, a letter to the people that are going to stop him, and verse 8, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he may give me timber. Did you get pick up on that? Give me timber. It's like you going to Home Depot, building a house, going, Home Depot, would you give me timber? Are you with me on that? 
He's asking for a full throttle donation that he said he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the walls of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I ask. So he says, king, if it pleases you, I really want to go home. I want to help rebuild. Man, what courage to seize that moment. But he didn't stop there. He continued seizing the moment. He was, oh, and by the way, the king, if you would write me a letter to hand to all those who are going to oppose me so that when they see your signature, they let me pass, man, that would be wonderful. The king allows it. And then last of all, the, I mean, it's like my kids going, can I come home at 1030? Yes. Will you give me money for food and for, you know, for, for gas? Yes. And then they ask like, okay, can you also give me money and food for all 17 friends that are going to go with me? I mean, it's like the request is not good with one, not great with two. He has a third request. I mean, he just keeps on requesting. But here's the third request. Would you also write another letter, King, with your signature to Asaph, the keeper of the forest, that he might donate to us all the timber needed to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the gate, to help rebuild parts of the temple, and oh, by the way, build my house. I mean, what a request, right? And what did the king do? And it says, and it pleased the king. Now listen to me this morning. I want you to hear this. When we look at Nehemiah, man, we see a Nehemiah who had the courage to speak the truth. We saw he got his courage from the Lord. But here we see a Nehemiah that has the courage to seize the moment. See, when the king asked the question, listen to me, when the king asked the question, do you think that was an answer to prayer that Nehemiah had been praying forever? Sure it was. This was an answer to prayer that Nehemiah had been praying for months now, and yet God provided an open door, and what did Nehemiah do? He seized the opportunity. See, he'd been praying for months, praying for months, praying for months. And God opens the door. This was an answer to prayer. This question, what do you want me to do for you, Nehemiah? This was an answer to prayer. And Nehemiah, in that moment, rather than going, well, let me think about it, he actually prays, and God gives him the word to request, and he requests a lot of different things, and the king allowed it. Nehemiah seized that divine moment. And as I read Nehemiah, listen, here's where I struggle personally. I think we have divine moments every day. I don't know what you think. I think God positions us in different places in life. We have different platforms. And I think there's divine moments every day. And you may say, well, Doug, I don't necessarily believe you. It's probably because you're not looking for them. I think they're there. And when those moments come up, like maybe an opportunity to share your faith with someone, like an opportunity to show kindness to someone, like an opportunity to show compassion, to help someone. I mean, when these opportunities arise, do we seize the moment or do we let the moment just pass us by? Right? Which one is that? In fact, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament is the story of blind Bartimaeus. He's on the roadside, and he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he begins to cry out to Jesus, and his friends try to quiet him. And the Bible says he cried out all the more, meaning louder than before. Why? Because this Bartimaeus knew this, that Jesus passing by was a divine moment. And either I'm going to seize my opportunity because he's the only one that can help me, or I'm going to let my opportunity pass in front of me and hope there's another one later. I think many of us struggle with that. I think many of us, including this guy, we wrestle with letting opportunities pass us by. Maybe somebody else will share the gospel with them. Maybe somebody else will show kindness to them. And I think as individuals and as a church as a whole, that when God provides opportunities, when God answers our prayers and provides opportunities, we need to seize the moment and do what God would call us to do in that moment. I think we need to be that way, just like 
Nehemiah. So when we look at Nehemiah, he was a man of courage. And as a result of that, listen, as a result of Nehemiah's courage, God blessed him and God provided for him. Because Nehemiah seized the moment, he had the favor of the king. God had already been working on the king's heart, and he had the favor of the king. And the king allowed it. So when we see Nehemiah in the face of all that's going on, how did he respond? He responded in patience, and he responded with courage. And I just want to encourage us this morning that if we're going to rebuild this mindset of who we are and what we've been called to be, if we're going to rebuild that mindset, it, it happens not with realigning our heart and mind. It's also about responding to the opportunities that God puts in front of us. In fact, can you think of an opportunity this week you missed? Because you were so, you know, blindfolded, you were so, you had your eyes, you were like me, you were in linear mode, and you were just moving from one point to the next. Can you think of opportunities to share the, the gospel, or opportunities to be the light of Christ, or opportunities to love somebody that seemed unlovable? Can you look back this week, can you see opportunities that maybe you missed? See, I think we need to respond like Nehemiah. We need to not only pray, but we need to seize the moments when God provides them for us. And we need to respond with patience and with courage. So here's my, my question for you this morning. How do you need to respond today? Some of you may say this, hey, I've got some big issues in my life, and the way I need to respond, the commitment of my response today needs to be, Lord, I'm willing to wait on you. God, I've got this big thing coming to my life, and I've been praying about it, I've been praying about it, I've been praying about it, but God, I, I, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to respond with patience today. I'm going to say, Lord, I trust you. Your timing is perfect. Maybe you need to make that commitment today. Maybe some of us say God has provided opportunities for us, and we need to respond with the courage going, I'm going to seize the moment. Maybe I didn't seize it on Friday, but I'm sure going to seize it on Sunday. I'm not going to let that moment slip by for me again. And you need to make a commitment to respond in seizing the moment that God has put in front of you. And maybe for some of you, we just need to respond in faith. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Christ. And if there's one thing I want you to know more than anything else, even about the book of Nehemiah, is that God loves you. We see how much God loved Nehemiah all the way through his book, but God loves you. He loved you enough to send his son, and maybe you already knew that, but you never put your faith in him and said yes to Christ, and maybe you need to respond in faith. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to close your notes up, close your Bibles up, and I'm going to ask right now, just every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. Just stay seating, but every head bowed and every eye closed right now. Nobody looking around. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do, because I just want to pray for you. I love you, and I want to pray for you because I'm in the same boat with you. But if you're here this morning say, you know what, Doug, I feel like the response that I need to have, the commitment I need to make, the response that I need to make is I need to say, Lord, I just need to be more patient. I need to respond with patience. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up, put it right back down, something big is going on, and you respond that way, amen. Just put it up, put it right back down, amen. Put it right back down, great. If you're here this morning and say, you know what, Doug, I feel like the way I need to respond is God is providing those opportunities, and I need to respond by seizing those moments, not letting fear paralyze me, but trusting that God will give me the words and everything I need to meet that opportunity. If you're that person that says, Doug, I need to respond by seizing the moments God puts in front of me, would you put your hand up and right back down? Slide up. I want to pray for you. And he's given us, thank you, so many opportunities. Maybe you're here this morning and say, you know what, Doug, I need to respond in faith. I know about Jesus, but I don't really know him. I believe that he exists, but I've never put my faith in him. And today I want to turn from my sin and turn to Christ. And you want to respond in faith today for maybe the first time. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and right back down? Nobody's looking. I just want to pray for you. Slip it up and put it right back down. 
I'm going to ask you this morning, would you just stand with every head bowed and every eye closed? Every head bowed and every eye closed, just stand with me. And the way you can respond this morning, nobody looking around, maybe you want to come pray at these steps, then we're going to call an altar. Maybe you want to grab a welcome card in the seat in front of you and say, say I, I, Pastor Doug, here's how I responded. Would you pray for me? Maybe you want to do it digitally, online. You can do that. But let's not leave this place without responding. I think every one of us, beginning with this guy on stage all the way out to the back row, we all need to respond somehow, whether it be in patience, whether it be the courage to speak the truth or seize the moment or respond in faith. We all need to respond. The question is, how will we respond? So God, I give this moment to you. I thank you for Nehemiah. I'm learning so much about his leadership. And God, I thank you that as we begin the book, we see a man broken over the situation. But instead of being broken by himself, he comes to you. He gets with you. He realigns his heart and mind with you. But God, it doesn't stop there. We saw today how he responds. And he responded in patience. And he responded in courage. Courage that you gave him, by the way. And so God, I pray for us as believers. Maybe some of us haven't been patient with you. Maybe some of us feel like we've put you on the clock. And we just need to make our requests known, our hurts known, and trust that you are going to do what you do best. You are going to meet those needs, and we're going to wait for your opportunity and for those moments that you create for us. May we respond that way today, Lord. Maybe for some, we know there's opportunities you put in front of us, but they just keep passing us by. Keep passing us by. And maybe this morning your Holy Spirit has birthed in us an urgency to seize those opportunities, to speak the truth. May we do that this week. And then, Lord, I pray for that person that maybe needs to respond in faith. May they just re realize this, that they are not guaranteed their next breath, not to mention the next day. And would they be faithful to say, yes, Lord, I surrender my life to you to be my boss and master. So, God, we just pray in this hour, in this moment, right where we find ourselves, that we would be faithful to respond to you as you lead us. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you want to come to the altar, the altar is open. If not, would you think about how can you respond to what God has for you today?